to uh, listen to them. So, but tonight I'm talking about the subject uh, of revival and what is revival. Uh, how many of you know that uh, over the course of time, uh, definitions change about things? You know, matter of fact, uh, even here tonight with the people that we have, if I was to take the time and go around and say, in your in your estimation, what is the definition of revival? Uh, I'm sure that we would get a lot of uh, answers for it. Uh, and uh, just to be frankly honest with you, uh, I really believe that uh, no one person uh, has the total definition of revival. I don't think anyone that is living today understands the subject in its totality. You can no more completely understand revival than you could to lasso a tornado uh, because God is so big and the subject is so big uh, that when revival comes, it beggars description. However, there are certain things that you and I need to know about re revival. Uh, there's been multitudes of people down through the years that uh, has spent the greater part of their lives uh, studying the working of God uh, and they only have a glimpse of it. Uh, I was uh, looking the other day about some statements about revival. If I could, I'd like to read you a few of the uh, statements that different men of God has said about revival. Revival is that strange and sovereign work of God in which he visits his own people, restoring uh, and releasing them into the fullness of his blessing. Another definition is revival is God's invasion into the lives of one or more of his people in order to awaken them spiritually for kingdom ministry. Another definition, revival is a time when heaven comes closer to earth. Amen. I love that one. Let me read that again. Revival is a time when heaven comes closer to earth. Uh, another definition, revival is a community that is saturated with God. Boy, I like that. Another definition, revival is an extraordinary movement of the Holy Spirit that produces extraordinary results. I love that definition. Another definition, revival above everything else is the glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is the restoration of Him to the center of life, of the life of the church. A true Holy Spirit revival is a remarkable increase in the spiritual life of a large number of God's people accompanied by an awesome awareness of the presence of God. It is intensified in prayer and praise and a deep conviction of sin with a passionate longing for holiness and an unusual effectiveness in evangelism. And then I say my two favorite ones for the last. Revival is a surge of divine life flowing into a body on the verge of being a corpse. I like that one. Revival is a surge of divine life flowing into a body on the verge of being a, collapse, uh, uh, being a corpse. Um, I heard uh, a statement years ago that revival is not a luscious green valley getting greener, but revival is the breath and the voice of God speaking to an army of dead, dry bones and saying, live. 
All of us need revival in our lives. All of us need revival. You know, let me say this though, and I, I really believe this. I think that God's intentions were different than what actually happened. I believe with all of my heart that God intended for the church to uh, experience the fullness of his spirit and not even have to be revived. How many believe that God really didn't want to revive the church? They should have already been revived. They should have already been walking in the life of God. They shouldn't have been revived. Matter of fact, there's a verse, I think, in Leviticus when it talks about uh, the lampstand or the lighting in the lampstand. It said, may the light uh, ever be burning. May it never go out. And so the light that represents the Holy Spirit in the New Testament should have been a light that burned and a light that never went out. But we see through the course of history how that uh, the church of the living God, especially in America, has waned and grown cold and callous toward God. And so there's a tremendous need for revival. Revival is a divinely initiated work in which God's people pray and repent of their sins and return to a Holy Spirit-filled, obedient love relationship with God. Here's your first blank here if you want to write this down. Revival is a work of God. Revival is a work of God. You know, there's two schools of thoughts about revival. There's some that says it doesn't matter if we pray 10 hours a day. It don't matter if we fast. Nothing that we can do will bring about a sovereign move of God. Revival is always totally a work of God. Then you've got the other school of thought that said, no, uh, that's not true. We have to bring revival. There's something that we have to do. We have to get ourselves in position to bring heaven down on earth. How many of you believe it's really a mixture of both, to be frankly honest with you? I believe that revival is both a sovereign act of God, but I also believe that just as the farmer prepares the soil to put the seed in in order to get a harvest later on, I think there's certain things that we have to do. Matter of fact, if you look at the farmer, you'll see that there are certain things that he does, but once he does what he has to do, then the rest of it is out of his hands. It's is that right? Regardless of what he does, he does not have the power to make that seed grow. Only God can do that. My nephew up in Wisconsin planted about 35 acres of corn on the hillside. Uh huh. And it was real wet when he planted it. Uh huh. And the ground became so hard that the seedlings couldn't come on. Wow. Until rain came. Wow, wow, wow. Ain't that something? Everything has to be right. I mean, you know, all of us don't have a green thumb like my grandfather did. He could, I believe he could take a dead stick and put it in the ground and it'd grow. It was just amazing, the green thumb that he had. But I believe that truly, though, revival is a work of God. It, it really is. It's a, it's a work of God. Uh, you, can't, uh, you can't resuscitate yourself. You can't raise yourself uh, from the dead. Uh, and listen, friends, uh, none of this takes place without a sovereign move of God. I really believe that. Number two is revival takes people to a place of repentance. Everybody say repentance. 
Listen, mark it down, friends. I don't care what kind of movement that you've saw over the course of the years and wherever you go. Uh, there is no revival without repentance. There's a lot of people who say, well, you know what? I believe that there's different seasons of God. And, and now we're in a season of joy and laughter. Or, or now we're in a season of, of great worship and intense worship. And uh, I, I believe that God is going to visit the church with this and visit the church with that. But I got news for you, friend. None of that matters if it's not preceded with a season of repentance. If you look at every major move of God, that matter of fact, I think that's why the Brownsville revival was so powerful and it lasted so long and it went so deep in the lives of people. The Brownsville revival, whether you know it or not, affected a lot of people in a very deep way. Why? Because the evangelists there emphasized repentance in every sermon. I mean, repent. People literally could not wait to get up and run to the altar. Why? Because uh, both unbeliever and believer alike understood their deep need to repent. So revival really is, uh, uh, takes uh, people to a place of repentance. If you look uh, at Jesus, uh, the first thing that he said in his ministry was repent. The last thing he said was repent. Uh, what really saddens me today, and I, I just posted this on Facebook, and I don't mean to open a can of worms here. Uh, I, I love the Gideons. I, I appreciate the Gideons so, so much. Uh, but uh, the other week, I was at the hospital and, uh, dear, uh, for a surgery, waiting for a surgery. And uh, somebody come in there and brought a packet of stuff. And, and there was a Gideon's Bible. And I was so disappointed when I opened the back of the Gideon's Bible where it tells how to be saved and all this stuff. And stuff. Not one single word of repentance not at all wasn't even mentioned it mentioned believing in God it mentioned receiving Jesus but it didn't say anything about repentance the average gospel track that you can get today to pass out to lost people the average gospel track says absolutely nothing about repentance anymore isn't that sad uh, listen, I, I mean, one of the most well-known preachers, he don't, uh, uh, well, I think he still uh, preaches in Atlanta, uh, but I heard him with my own ears say that there's no such thing as salvation with repentance. That repentance is something that takes place after conversion and not any time sooner. I mean, I heard that, and if I told you who this was that said this, and he was very clear. I didn't read anything to what he said. He was very clear about what he said. He was of a different denomination. So what, what I'm saying is, friends, is that we need a revival of repentance in the church today. You know, I, I've had people uh, that told me, well, you know what, Brother Jerry? Uh, I can't even remember the last time I deeply repented over something. Oh, Really? Well, you know what? Then, then, then you must be living in such victory in your life. You really must be living and have your flesh so subdued in your life. And you, well, listen, I believe in the victorious life. I really do. I, I believe that we can live victorious. I really believe that. But to say that you go through long periods of time where you don't repent over anything tells me that either you really, really, really have it together or you're basically backslid in your heart. Come on now. Come on, folks. Boy, it's awfully quiet in here now. No, I'm serious, friend. The closer we get to God, the more of a need that we will see to repent. 
Jesus, if you want to look at the message to the churches uh, in Revelation, you'll see the word repent, 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 repent. Over and over and over. I've said this until I'm blue in the face. God's word to the last day church is very short and very simple. Repent and grow up. How many believe that's the word of the Lord? You know, you got all these prophetic gurus who's wanting to know the last day end time message. I said, look, I can shorten it up for you. Repent and grow up. If the church would just do that, we would be in good shape. So we do need repentance. How many of y'all believe we need repentance? Good, then y'all need to repent. All right. So revival involves returning to God. Look at Malachi 3.7, if you have that, uh, Michael. Malachi 3.7 says, Yet from the days of your fathers you've gone away from my ordinances. I read this last Wednesday. And have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you. Now here we see what we talked about, both the sovereignty of God and our responsibility. So revival is both the sovereignty of God and our responsibility. He said return to me and this is what I'll do I will return to you says the Lord but you said in what way shall we return sound like that guy that said man I, I can't even remember the last time I repented sound like him don't it in what way shall we return what are you talking about listen friends when I go out and witness on the street I'm always shocked at the people who really really truly believe they're okay they're, I mean, they really, they, matter of fact, these people are so deceived that they could pass a lie detector test. I mean, they truly believe that, Faye. Uh, they don't think they've done anything wrong or that they're doing anything wrong because I, I've witnessed people like that. Yes. I'm angry then. I'm a good person. I'm, there you go. You know, I told you about having company. My nephew married a Jewish girl. Uh-huh. And she told me something. We, we talked a little bit. You know, yeah. I tried to tell her, you know, that Jesus was the way and the only way. And she said she believed there were several ways and that she felt okay with her life. So wow. There, yeah. mm. You've got so many people teaching now that, that, that there are many ways to, to heaven and all different things like that. Um, and Oprah's one of them. And there's so many people she's led. Yeah. Everybody looks to her. There's so many. One of these days she's if she don't repent, she's going to have to stand before the Lord. Yes. She's going to have to give an account for all them people. Yeah, yeah. Well, and not only that, but all the preachers that sh- that's been on her show that watered it down or didn't even mention God or salvation. How in the world could a preacher, a spirit-filled preacher, go on a nationally syndicated talk show of any kind and be asked to talk about spiritual things and yet dodge the questions and not lay the axe at the root of the tree? I mean, you know what I'm saying? That's like giving a person cough syrup when they have terminal cancer. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I, I never have understood that. So, But you know what? There's still some God-fearing people out there. You know, one man that I, and you know, he's of the Baptist faith, but I'll tell you one thing. I highly respect this guy, and that's Franklin Graham. Franklin Graham, uh, you know, call him a Baptist or whatever you want to, but I'm going to tell you, the man believes in repentance. He believes in salvation. He don't hesitate to go on national news and tell you that Jesus is the only way to salvation and makes no apologies about it at all. So, you know, uh, I thank God for that. All right, let's look at another verse here we have in James 4, 8. I uh, still want to emphasize on returning to God, or, or we'll, we'll go to that when I'll go. Uh, actually, I got ahead of myself, didn't I? Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. See, here, here we, we see that in the Old Testament. Now we're seeing the same thing in the New Testament. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. 
Now notice that he's telling us to cleanse ourselves. Now listen, we know where the cleansing ultimately comes from. It comes from God. Okay, it comes from God. But the Bible tells us that we need to draw near to God in order to be cleansed. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. When it says your hands, it's really, I think, referring to the conscious. You know, it don't mean, literally mean dirty hands, physically dirty hands. It means your conscious, kind of like Paul did when he shook his raiment. That was a, uh, saying, look, my conscience is clear. Or when Pilate washed his hands in the basin of water, you know, and said, I find no fault. He was trying to cleanse his conscience by washing his hands. Uh, and so it brings me to my number three point, which I skipped. Revival involves returning to God. Revival is a work of God, but revival, uh, 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 repentance should happen, but revival involves returning to God. God is saying, listen, if you return to me, I'll return to you. You know, a good uh, illustration of that, and I think I posted something recently on Facebook. I actually uh, posted a picture of two hogs laying in mud and slop. And then I posted a big, beautiful picture of a whole bunch of pig slop all mixed up. And then I posted a picture, a beautiful portrait of this prodigal son coming back home embraced by the father. And I thought to myself, you know what? The father could have said, you know what? Listen, I know that you want me to give you what you think is yours, but I'm pleading and I'm begging with you, please don't leave. And if you do leave, I will hunt you down and physically force you back to my house. You know what? You know what he said? Hey, I, I, can't make him, I, I can't make him stay. If I did make him stay, his heart wouldn't be here now. He would be here in his body, but his heart would be in a far country somewhere. Even though physically he wasn't there, he was already there. How many of you know that that's the case all the time in churches? Matter of fact, to be honest with you, I don't know which prodigal son actually was the worst. The one that went into the far country or the one that sat at the father's table every day. They were both prodigals, big time. They were both selfish and they were both self-centered. And we see that when the younger son came home. Because we hear what the, the older son said. I mean, come on. And it's a shame. It's a shame. How many of you know that the prodigal son did not have to go to a far country? He could have turned around. Ten steps or, or halfway there. He could have turned around at any moment. At any moment. But you know what's sad to say? In the life of the world, it takes pig slop for people to appreciate Father's house. It shouldn't be that way, but it really is. It took pig slop. And you know the good thing about God is that that boy was heading in the right direction and that was good enough for the Father. You know, that's when he said, now I'm going to run to him. I'm going to run to him now because he's heading in the right direction. Matter of fact, the Bible says that while the son was yet a great way off, I think he probably could just barely see him. But he thought, you know what? My boy is coming home. Amen? It was grace that welcomed him and it was mercy that threw him a party. Come on now, y'all quiet, man. Good night. I'm, I'm in low gear right now, but I, I'm trying to teach. Okay, revival involves returning to God. Number four, number four, a good subject of mine. Number four, revival leads to a life of holiness. 
Everybody say holiness. It's amazing how we equate holiness nowadays when you talk about holiness or mention holiness you automatically think about uh, you know a bunch of ladies that's wearing dresses to the floor with buns on their head and oh my goodness no makeup and no jewelry. The first recorded haircut in the Bible got a man into a heap of trouble. You ever thought about that? Those are against long hair. The first recorded haircut got a man in a heap of trouble. How many of you know that, that God himself was the one that told the children of Israel to take all the riches and jewels out from Egypt? So it, 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 listen, when they were wearing it, they, were, they didn't get in the trouble. It was when they actually took it off is when they got in trouble. <laughs> they made a golden calf out of it. So, so, so it's amazing how people want to harp on, on secondary things or things that in the light of eternity don't matter. I mean, the prodigal son, they put a ring on his finger. Yes. I went to a Pentecostal church one time, and I am a non-denomination person. Uh-huh. And um, I wear makeup. Uh-huh. And I can't wear dresses because of... I wear a brace on my leg. We forgive you, and, though. God will forgive you. And do you know, they started preaching about the makeup. And they saw you and coming, girl. Well, <laughs> in, well, I was sitting yeah. there. Yeah. And it really hurt my feelings. And yeah. yeah. I got up and walked out. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, that's on them. You know, yeah. Yeah. God, I think God. They have to deal with yeah. God for that. Yeah, you know? yeah, amen. God knows on the inside. Yeah. Well, you know, hey, and of course we have to be careful here because we don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. You know, the Bible does talk about moderation. The Bible talks about modesty, to dress modesty, uh, modestly, uh, you know. And, uh, and you know, you think about it, the, other, the, the liberated churches, the church that are liberated, uh, dress in such a manner that the women dress, that they entice men and, and call, you know what I'm saying? I mean, so there, so there is a balance there. There really is. And, and every, the Bible said that everyone is to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. But, but one of the earmarks, though, of a great move of God is personal holiness or purity of heart. It's a person, uh, and you know what? The, the dynamics changes. A person who is trying to be a Christian and yet live as close to the world as they can and still be called a Christian. When revival comes, that mindset totally changes. For what they say now is, you know what, even if I think that something may be wrong, it's better for me not to do that because at the end of the day, pleasing God is my greatest desire. How many of y'all believe that? And so, uh, so holiness is not a, a, a denomination or a certain sect of people, uh, but holiness uh, is purity of heart. The Bible says, no, don't let it be the outward adorning, but let it be the inward adorning of the heart. Amen. It is that inward adorning of the heart. And my goodness, do we need holiness. Matter of fact, you know, we, we, we want to talk about that certain group of people, but yet there's other groups out there that's just as guilty in the other way. They think, you know what, it's okay to do this, or it's okay to do that, or it's okay, when in fact it's really not okay. The closer you get to God, the deeper your convictions get. Amen?
And you don't do those things because, well, you know what? I don't drink and I don't smoke and I don't cuss. Well, you know what? The closer you get to God, the more you will want to please God. And it's not, it's not driven out of a sense of duty, but it's driven out of a sense of devotion to God. When you truly love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, then friends, the outcome of that will be a holy life. I really believe that. How many believe that God is holy? You cannot continue to practice sin and at the same time experience revival. I want you to look at Isaiah. Matter of fact, I've got a number of verses here. I thought this was worth noting in 20 verses here. Uh, but Isaiah uh, chapter 1, I want to start reading uh, in verse 2. Listen to this now. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. For the Lord has spoken, I have nourished, and I have brought up children. And they have rebelled against me. Wow. You know how many of you know that parents aren't, the, aren't, parents aren't the only one who have rebellious children? I mean, God had two of them and they really messed up. I mean, we're talking God here. Amen. We're talking God. He had two of them and they messed up. He said here, he said, I've nourished and brought up children and they've rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner. In other words, the ox is smarter than these rebellious children. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib. Even the donkey knows where to go eat. He said, but Israel, Israel does not know my people do not consider. Notice that. How many believe that the children of Israel were backslidden at that time? He said, a lost, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers. Boy, if Jesus preached that in churches, he'd get kicked out, wouldn't he? A people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel, and they have turned away backward. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick. The whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. Wow, isn't that amazing how God, look at all the analogies that God is drawing. Oxes and donkeys and a human body that's sick and got sores on it. All of that he was using as analogies to the children of Israel. Isn't that amazing? They have not been clothed or bound up or soothed with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Strangers devour your land in your presence. And it's desolate as overthrown by strangers. So the daughters of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard, as a hut in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. Wow. We would have been like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. For what, to what purpose is the multitude? Now notice this now. This is for something here. To what purpose is the multitude, not just one, but a multitude of your sacrifices to me? I have had enough 
of burnt offerings of rams and of fat of the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more fruit sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons and the Sabbaths and the calling of the assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meetings. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, wow. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Why? Because your hands are full of blood. Wash yourself, make yourself clean, put away the evil of your doings before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice and rebuke the oppressor and defend the fatherless and plead for the widow. Now let's just stop right there. I just read a mouthful, folks. And if you made that same comparison today, people are guilty of the same thing in a different way. They're not coming to church to lay a lamb or or a dove or a fruit offering on the altar. But the Bible says they come and they worship.